0: Once more unto the breach, dear friends, else close the wall up with our English dead. Uh, Good morning again, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, to another excited, though pre-recorded episode of The Personal Wealth Coach with Jake and
1: Jeff McClure. McClure.
0: Whoa. Uh, Yes, ladies and gentlemen, we said our names at the same time without stuttering. We are amazing. Takes a lot of practice to do that. Yeah. Um, this is a pre recorded episode, so we're not going to be taking either phone calls or emails during the program. But if you would like to ask a question for next week, uh, we're also going to be recording that program. So our email addresses are jeff at tpwc.com or tango papa whiskey charlie the personal wealth coach.com or jake at tpwc.com. And now we have some disclosures that we need to do. Would you like to start?
1: I guess I could start by saying that the personal wealth coach is a registered investment advisor, registered with the United States Securities and Exchange Commission, which neither approves nor disapproves of what we say or do, but would gladly disapprove if they had the chance.
0: And the message will self-destruct in in 47 seconds. Could be.
1: And uh, that... We are not giving investment advice on this radio program. This is information only, and it is in, information is very different from investment advice. And in the investment advice is for individuals based on their specific circumstances, goals, objectives, and so on. Whereas general information, which is what we give on this radio program, is designed to generally educate you. And that's what it's for. And it applies, should apply to just about everybody. Let's see. What else do we need to disclose? We don't pay for the radio program radio program doesn't pay us. We do advertise on the radio station uh, for the program. Let's see, anything else we need to do? Oh, yes. The information we give on this program has been obtained from sources we deem, I love to use that word, to be reliable, but we make no warranty or guarantee as to his accuracy or completeness.
0: Nice. We deem our accuracy and completeness to be pretty good, but we're not guaranteeing it or warrantying it.
1: We're deeming, but not warrantying or guarantee.
0: So if you can figure out the difference between deem, warranty, and guarantee, then you'll know what we do and don't do. We could
1: say performance is no guarantee of future returns.
0: Past performance is no guarantee of future returns. It's true. That's one of the best disclosures out there, I think, Uh, when it comes right down to it. If you can't say that and mean it, then you shouldn't be in this business. The market does different things at different times. But let's talk about what the market did this week. We don't have the end-of-week stuff because we're doing the pre-recording on Thursday, but we have a lot of information.
1: Well, the market's definitely up this week. Uh, it, it continues to rise at an inordinate rate of speed. The uh, the stocks on Thursday as we're advertising this show starting to slide a little bit after the Dow busted through 29,000. And got everybody all excited. But still, for the week, it's up. Uh, let me check the numbers on that to make sure I'm exactly
0: right here. Yeah, And these aren't the final numbers, obviously. So we're on the fly.
1: And it takes a second for this to come up here where I can look at it. But the markets, uh, there was an interesting article about the about the stock market that I read where the average price-to-earnings ratio for the top 20 stocks in the S&P 500 are now uh, is now
0: 83. Wow. What does that mean? It means it would take 83 years of current earnings to pay back the stock value, which is a tad overpriced in my estimation and a lot of a, a lot of other people's estimations, but not in the estimation of the people putting more money into the market.
1: Yes, as I suspected, Here's we're looking at this on Thursday now. This is not Friday. The market is actually down 0.88% for the week.
0: Mm-hmm. And it's because right now, middle of of, or early afternoon on Thursday, uh, the S&P 500 is down about Mm
1: 3.6%.
0: And why? That's a good question. It's a really good question. Uh, We hit a round number on the Dow. That's that's probably the best answer on the behavior side. For some reason, people like round numbers or dislike them.
1: Well, the Wall Street Journal is saying something that I think is very that we've been predicting for some time, and we could be seeing the beginning of it right now. The uh, technology firms, the top there's about ten technology firms uh, that have led the S and P 500 up, and have gradually become 25, over 25 percent of the value of the S and P 500, and they started falling after the Dow Industrials hit 29,000. Now is there any reason that the technology firms are worth less now than they were yesterday? No, nothing that anybody can point out anyway.
0: But the point is more people people, are buying
1: it. That's why. Well, people looked at the Dow and saw 29,000 and said, Whoa, that's high. Wait a minute. Let me look at the stocks I've been buying. Whoa, they're high. One of the things that's happened regarding the market is firms like Robinhood and deep discount, uh, trading firms where stock trades are officially, officially free. They're not actually free. You think they are though.
0: Yeah. The, pay, the payments open, are coming from inside at somewhere.
1: They are seeing overwhelming volume as amateur investors do lots and lots and lots of buying and selling. Uh, and it is, it is really overwhelming the number of people who've never been in the market before, who have very little experience in the market We're buying about 10 stocks and running the price up. As long as it was going up, it continued to go up. But there has to be, there's always a point when this happens when the last buyer makes a buy and a few sellers start selling and there's nobody to buy what they're selling. So the price goes down a little bit and people see the price going down and therefore they stampede off in the other direction.
0: Yes. It's a really. Simple concept that that we use a lot. When the reason why a stock is going up is because people are buying it. Uh, If that's the reason why it's going up, then all it takes is for the stock to start dropping. They're buying it because it's going up. All it takes is it for for it to not go up, to go the other way, and that's the reason why people will sell it, which is the opposite of what you're supposed to do in the market. But that's what drives these things.
1: And it's, there's no really big, earth-shaking economic mo- news came out today. 881,000 Americans applied for unemployment benefits last week. Mm-hmm. That's less than a million. That means the economy is not doing as bad. It's not a good sign because historically it's normally been around 200,000 a week, and 881,000 American supply, but it's better than the 1 million that we've seen recently. So good news is bad news in this particular case when it comes to the market.
0: Right. And so the the number of people collecting unemployment benefits from uh, the regular state programs. Now you got to bear with us on this because regular state programs aren't all the state programs. Uh, that's 13.3 million people. However, if we combine Uh, All folks that are receiving assistance from state and federal programs uh, for unemployment, that's 29 million. So 29 million people, which is why when you look at the number and it's close to 10%, that 29 million is really close to 10% of our population. The 13 million is really close to 10% of the working population. So that gives a pretty good idea of, yeah, we're still way down. We're creating jobs again but it's going to take a while at this rate to get recovered. Hopefully it speeds up when the when the virus is under control.
1: Another element that might be affecting the buying and selling is the Senate, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell raised a question Wednesday as to whether lawmakers could reach an agreement on the new spending package before the election. And that really boils down to the fact that a lot of uh, folks out there who have been buying and selling stocks, particularly on Robinhood and places like that, are betting on a big uh, stimulus package coming through, putting a lot of money in people's pockets so they can go out and buy things and seeing the recovery continue. There's kind of a consensus among economists and among general observers that if we don't get a stimulus package, the economy is going to stall out and start back downhill. And that might be having an effect
0: on the buying and selling
1: in the market today.
0: Yeah, I I agree with that. Um, What you said about Robinhood and the low-priced area we're seeing an absolute record amount of fractional share purchases, and we used to call these odd lot buying because you didn't used to be able to buy fractional shares very easily, and if you had less than 100 stocks you were purchasing, it was called an odd lot. Most, most stocks way back in the day were sold in 100 unit increments, and that was called a lot, kind of like at an auction because the stock market is an auction. Uh, We're seeing a a record number of odd lot purchases and a record number of fractional share purchases. What does that mean? It means a lot of people are in the market and trading at a high level that don't have a lot of money. And that's a little scary. Uh, When you get people that have very little experience, and that's generally most people that have little amounts of money in the market, um, they tend to make the decision to buy things because they're going up and sell things because they're going down. Uh, when you have that in combination, which is what we're seeing right now, this is why we've been making predictions for the past month or so, that the market is due for a, a pretty good size correction at some point. Um, do you have anything on that subject?
1: Well, the indicators are the yield on the 10-year Treasury dropped. 0.649 percent, and and then the price of oil dropped. These are indicators that the economy is slowing down or is likely to be slow in the near future and out for several years. And they have been consistently signaling that the econo- the economy a year from now will not be as good as it was a year ago. And the across the board, the economic activity in the United States, according to the the uh, Federal Reserve, is down between 10 and 20 percent. It, it depends on which. What elements what weights you give to them so that and it indicates the indications continue to be that the economy is not accelerating in other words it's still it's gradually improving but very very slowly uh it's actually improving at a rate that would be normal if we didn't have a covid virus out there but it's starting from a point about 10 to 20 percent below where it was last year at this time all mm-hmm. that up it indicates that earnings for corporations and corporate values should be down about 10 or 20%. Instead, they're up dramatically based on the S&P 500, which means it's overpriced. And people are, at some point, people will recognize that. I don't know how long it takes. But eventually, the speculative buyers, as I said earlier, are going to see the market start down, and they're going to start selling, and that will be really
0: scary. Yeah, that, that is the kind of downturn that happens and is, well, you said it, it's scary uh, because it doesn't have a real reason. If you think about just the earnings or you think about the anything actually happening inside the stock market, there's no change from one day to the next in earnings when we have this kind of a, a, a drop that we're expecting. And it's just based on the market down and people getting scared that it will go down farther, so they sell, which causes it to go down farther. Isn't that amazing? There's,
1: there's an irony here though. In the midst of this down market, you realize that some of the worst performing stocks on the market, utilities and manufacturing stocks, are working their way up.
0: Up up in performance?
1: Up up in uh up in price. Actually yesterday yeah. rising in price, whereas the rest of the Actually, we saw yesterday when the market was hitting records, we saw that the records, the new breaking record drive in the market, was not being generated by the tech stocks. It was being generated by the value stocks way down at the low end of the market. Mm-hmm. And the tech stocks were starting to sell off yesterday, though, though didn't show up in the broad indices. We could this could be the beginning. And, Of course, we're on and we're on Thursday advertising advertising. advertising. We're, we're actually recording this on Thursday, so we don't know what's going to happen by the close of the market on Friday this type of a downturn 3.2% in part of a day in the S&P 500 could easily mark the beginning of a much larger downturn as the high high price tech stock sell off
0: and it, it when we have a sell off like this it tends to affect the whole market cuz people jumping out of th- this is another piece we were talking about fractional shares and we were talking about odd lot purchases the other thing is that the majority of new money going into the market right now is going into index funds Um, anytime that happens you get this weird effect where companies that have great earnings either go up or go down without regard to their earnings because people are buying the S&P 500 as a whole uh, based on their index so This is a statement we've said for decades that index investing is a form of communism. It's a capitalistic form of communism, but you're buying into the stock market not based on management or performance or um, price to earnings or any of that. You're buying into the stock market based on an average of all the stocks out there or 500 of them. And what that means is that if there's a company in that group that has no reason why anybody would be buying it it's a dog and it's really really not doing well if you buy into the index you're buying into that company as well so it maintains the value Uh, and when we've got the absolute majority of money going into the market going into index funds you get this inflated valuation of stocks that really shouldn't be valued that high Um, i'm looking back at the top 10 S and P 500 stocks by index weight. Um, And obviously Apple's at the top of the list and it, it accounts for 6.4% of the entire stock market as far as the S and P 500 is concerned. While Microsoft is coming in just below 6% and Amazon's at 5%. And if you look at Facebook, that's 2.3 alphabet and it's two different share classes is about 3%. So those are just the top five, companies and you're already talking about 20 percent of the market and if you're talking about these companies all right um amazon's price to earnings uh numbers are absolutely absurdly high right now microsoft is a great company these are all great companies it's not like they're bad but they because they have been on the front page a lot during the pandemic and they're kind of a symbol of how to do business when the when the economy is shut down, people have been buying them without looking at the price, and that's generally not a good idea. Well, some of the people that are buying them, the majority of people, are buying them because they're putting money into an index fund, and that index fund gives a higher weighting to the larger companies. So more money that you, if you put in fifty dollars, twenty percent of it goes to these top five stocks and the more people that do that the more those top five stocks become bigger than the rest of the index and more money gets flowing into them the same way so uh, why do i say communism um marx said this from each according to need to each according or, or from each according to merit to each according to need there's no merit-based purchase here It's going according to size, which is what Marx was talking about. If you have a large family, you get paid more. And if you have a smaller family, you get paid less. But that's not a good promoter for profitability. Uh, It's a good promoter for averages. But if everybody does this, if we get 90% of the people putting money into the market into S&P 500 index, we'll have a bunch of companies that should be bankrupt that are still in the S&P 500 because people are still buying them. And that's, that's worrisome. Um, And when we see the entire market drop, it will be weighted more heavily in the parts of the market that that are the biggest right now, just like the parts of the market going up are weighted more heavily there. And this comes back to index investing. So there's a lot of little things going on that are leading to this overpriced euphoria. I think that's a good word for it. And the
1: other thing is, of course, the people who are buying... In many cases, they're not looking at earnings. They're not looking at prospects for a year from now. They're simply looking at the price of the stock.
0: Right. And what it did over the last week or last three months or whatever.
1: And they're doing it just like people do on futures contracts. They bid them up and down on which way they're going on momentum. And when they get to absurd heights where the valuation doesn't make any sense at all, they eventually come back down. But there's some things out there if you want to read them that way that make everything look really, really, really impressive. For instance, the U.S. and global factory output picked up very nicely. Uh, we're still down from where we were last year, but there was a very nice rise in, the, in global factory output where the uh, purchasing manager's index in the United States, for example, was up above 50. Again, it's back up to 54. The problem with that is it doesn't take into account, so we got a positive and, we, and it looks really good and it's come back up from below zero, the problem is it doesn't when you see these news reports it doesn't report that production is still well down from where it was last year. Right. So you see this 54 and you say it's above 50 that's cool it's growing we're back in we're back in gear again. No, we still haven't recovered and the fact that we are no longer all 54 means on the purchasing managers index is we're no longer shrinking.
0: Yeah. We're bigger than we were last month, but it doesn't measure a year ago. It's measuring right now and, and so last month.
1: Building. Another one that came out that I thought was pretty fascinating is the productivity numbers. I don't know if you saw that productivity and costs for the second quarter.
0: I was looking at it, but I don't have all the numbers right in front of me.
1: Well, what happened is pro- labor productivity increased 10.1 percent. Now, that's annualized. So roughly two and a half percent. In other words, we had labor productivity in the United States increase two and a half percent in one quarter in the second quarter of 2020, which is incredibly High. It's increasing, at, at, in other words, in the middle of this downturn, this horrific downturn in the second quarter, where the (coughs) the economy shrunk about 10%, labor productivity rose 2.5%. Manufacturing productivity dropped, but across the board, labor productivity rose. But if you dig down into the figures, it gets sort of interesting. What it boils down to is companies were vigorously laying off their lower-income people. Mm Mm-hmm. And so what you see is the average wage growth go up dramatically. We thought initially when the reports came out, we thought that the wage growth was because of the fact that people were receiving the stimulus checks from the United States government that counted as income. So we saw this big wage growth. No, it turned out that wasn't the cause of the wage growth. What was the cause of the average wage growth is all the low income people got laid off.
0: And so it looks like by averages that everybody's getting paid more when they're really, in some cases, getting paid less than they were. It's just that the lower income people aren't part of the average.
1: And so the higher income people were left in the packet. But then those same higher income people who in many cases took pay cuts to keep their jobs did a lot more work than the work of the lower income people. And so the productivity jumped. And so we have these wonderful statistical numbers looking back to the second quarter that said, hey, productivity is up. Wages are up. Man, that sounds like we're in nirvana in the economy. And then if you turn around and look at the fact that uh, uh, the labor and costs also increased 9.6% during the period. Well, productivity is up, but labor costs are up 9.6%. By the way, if productivity is up at an annualized rate of 10 and labor costs are up 9.6, that means we had a 30% increase in in work output per worker in the second quarter.
0: This is one of the dangers with statistics and averages. If you have one foot in dry ice and one foot in boiling water, your average temperature is pretty close to correct. But that does not make you comfortable.
1: (laughs) An actual increase in hourly compensation was 20% in the second quarter. That's people Hey, That's not people receiving benefits. People who are actually working and being paid by the hour in the second quarter saw a 20% increase in hourly compensation. Wow, the economy must be going like gangbusters. It, you know, there's this look at that. And, and you look at, wow, this is wonderful. This was this was yesterday that this came out. And caused, probably caused the market to rise yesterday.
0: There's another uh, piece to throw in here. Right in the middle of that, uh, the Beige Book has come out. And I wouldn't normally throw the Beige Book in on top of a productivity thing. We'd talk about productivity until it's done. But it's lending it. What is the Beige Book? The Beige Book is like... It literally was a book that was tan at the beginning. The Federal Reserve keeps notes on its conversations with business owners. There's no numbers as far as what they expect productivity to be or uh, anything else. It's really just conversations that they've had with business owners. And what they're finding is a sign of an emerging labor shortage Despite elevated unemployment, and this isn't due to the uh, $600 check that ended in July, and now we're in September, um, it, it has to do with lack of childcare options and concerns over the impending start of remote classes in the new school year. So, if you put those all together, there are a lot of people that don't have a job. But they're also looking at the fact that they have kids and they can't leave the kids at home alone for some reason. I don't, I don't know. I think they made some movies about that at some point. But
1: that's our Christmas. Right.
0: So there are areas of the economy where wages have had to go way up. Um, and one of the examples in the Beige Book is a St. Louis peach farmer who's increased Wages by 10 percent over last year and still had to leave a big chunk of his crop unharvested because there aren't enough people. We've got immigration cut way back due to pandemic, both legal and illegal. And we've got uh, lots of people that are unemployed but also have kids and they don't have childcare. So we have one of the strangest periods in history occurring right now as far as American history goes. Because we have a lot of people that want jobs, that need jobs, that even have jobs available, but can't take the job because they would be leaving their kids alone. So there's this weird knot of catch-22s of, yes, you can have a job and you'll even get a pay raise, but... You'll have to neglect your children. Sorry. <laughs>
1: and that's compounded by the way schools have opened, even the schools that have opened up with in-person teaching going on, as mm-hmm. the president them to do. Almost all of them have, if you get a certain percentage of students in the school system in Texas, it's 2%. The test positive for COVID, school shuts down again, goes to remote.
0: And in the middle of that, quite a lot of the schools that are starting aren't doing it on a normal schedule. So they'll have some kids come in in the morning and some kids come in in the afternoon and they stagger at the lunch time. And some people are eating lunch at 10 in the morning and some people are eating it at, at 2 in the, in the afternoon. And, and it makes it,
1: really, makes it really hard under those circumstances for a person to say, I'll take my job back or I'll take a job. When they really need, they don't know if they're going to need to stay home to take care of their kids or not.
0: Right or even when they're going to need to drop their kids off, some places are staggering the day. So uh, one day you come in in the morning, and the next day you come in in the afternoon. Well, how do you set up a work schedule around taking your kids into school if they're staggering the schedule like that? Uh, you just can't do it. And, and it's not uniform. All over the country, they're doing it differently. Uh, each county, each district, each school might be doing it differently. And that puts a big damper on wage growth. It puts a big damper on employment growth. So we, it's the same story we've been saying for months now. It's it's wrapped up in this virus, and when we get it under control, we're going to see things un unknot themselves. Um, anyway, I wanted to throw that Beige Book thing out there, because what, what they're seeing is a modest uh, economic growth constrained by weirdness in the labor market where we've got what seems like we would have this tremendous opportunity to hire people and last month's beige book we saying that uh there was a a problem getting people to come in to work because of the 600 hundred dollar check that they were getting per week um when they were asked about this now that that's been canceled the same people are saying it's not the check now it's that they don't have child care so it may not have been the check last month because they didn't have childcare then either but people were not accepting jobs at the level we expect for multiple reasons it used to be their pay was higher at home and their kids are at home now their pay is not higher at home it may be non-existent but their kids are still at home and for some reason people prioritize their children it's really weird (laughs) um
1: well i think it's pretty healthy to prioritize children the problem is and I think it's in, in Morningstar had an article that I think is very appropriate. By the way, if you hear a little rumbling in the background, it's mm-hmm. raining in on our steel roof very very hard right now.
0: And on mine at the same time.
1: Uh, anyway, the the problem is that this isn't going to go away till it goes away. Uh, there's an oh, article. And Morningstar- you should
0: make predictions like that more often. I like well, it.
1: The headline in Morningstar is slow burn likely until coronavirus vaccines are widely available. In other words, once coronavirus vaccines are widely available to where children are vaccinated, adults are vaccinated, older people are vaccinated, and we have some degree of faith. By the way, it's probably going to take two vaccinations to get immunity. That's what I'm reading now. Until that happens, which will be probably about the middle of next year, things are not going to return to normal and i think i think there's a lot of people who believe subconsciously or consciously that everything is going to return to normal at some point in the near future we get a vaccine and everything returns to normal uh, what will probably happen i think as we go into the fall late fall early winter and the vaccine distribution gets closer is we're going to see some massive volatility because a lot of the very frankly even at the ridiculous price-to-earnings ratios, people are looking at the, the successes they're seeing in Amazon, in, in Walmart, online, in in the digital world, and in the transportation world, based on the fact that we have a pandemic going. Right. And as soon as the pandemic becomes under control, the forecasts are going to change, and the forecasts are going to say, well... People are going to stop buying so much from Amazon because they're going to go to the local store to buy things. They're going to stop buying uh, their groceries so much at Walmart because they'll go to the local grocery store to buy things. So what you'll see is a relative year-over-year decline in revenues and business one time. Doesn't mean the companies are bad companies, but when people then take a look at the fact that this doesn't go up forever, I think a stock market... Severe correction is something that we can reasonably expect.
0: Mm-hmm. I agree. Um, one other big piece of news that came out this week uh, it's big as in front page Wall Street Journal, big headline: U.S. debt is set to exceed the size of the economy next year. So 2021.: yep. This is first different.
1: time since World War
0: II. Yeah, first time since World War II. that's right. Um, and what does that mean? Well, coming out of World War II, we had a tremendous effort to bring the debt back down. Taxes were raised across the board and all the way up through the 60s. We had a 90% income tax bracket.
1: Yeah, we had a 90% income tax bracket and limited deductions compared to what we have today. Uh, We had a very progressive tax scheme that... More wealthy people paid a lot more taxes than less wealthy people, where we don't have very progressive schemes today. If we're going to eventually get to the point we're out of debt, not out of debt, but bring our debt down to a reasonable level, we'll have to see that again. We'll also have to see a rapid growth economy, and that's going to be an interesting challenge because we're getting older. We don't have a baby boom coming along.
0: Right. And although the the numbers for the coronavirus era, we don't know how many people are getting pregnant and about to have kids when they've been stuck at home with nothing else to do. So we'll see about that. Uh, I don't know. Uh, there's really no way of knowing because everybody's depressed and scared and stuck at home. Um, we'll see uh, that. That is
1: when people are depressed and scared, they don't have babies.
0: Generally when not. They, yeah.
1: When feel optimistic because they've just whipped the world they tend to want to have babies and and multiply rapidly. Mm-hmm. But I don't think, I don't really think we're going to see that happen this time.
0: I, I don't, yeah, I don't think that we're going to see it because we're not, there's not a defined win here. We're going to have a vaccine that's out for a while and a lot of people will get it, but there's not going to be a day that we say coronavirus is whipped mission accomplished. There's a, um,
1: there's a very good point in it though, in that, Our actual debt service on the national debt is lower than it was than it's been in 10 years or so right now because Mm -hmm. of the amazingly low interest rates we have.
0: And Think of that just for a moment and that our debt is extremely high, but our debt service is the lowest it's been in 10 years when we had a lot less debt 10 years ago.
1: Well, it's because interest rates are so amazingly low. The problem is, will interest rates stay low forever? The Federal Reserve seems to think, and I certainly agree with them, I'm glad that they think the same thing I'm thinking, that interest rates will remain low, very, very low for the next two or three years. But presuming that the economy picks up speed again, which would generate enough tax revenue to start paying debt off to get us down to the point where we can handle it, interest rates will go up. And if interest rates go up at that point, and these are all ifs, then the cost of maintaining the debt, just paying the interest on it, could become really substantial in the next few years, and this is going to create a problem unless we can get a really massive growth in the economy and raise taxes at the same time. Which is entirely possible that we could do this. Uh, it's just it's going to take some very innovative work by somebody in in government to do this because. One of the things that we're seeing, and this is this is happening in, in manufacturing, manufacturing is starting to come back, but the hiring is not coming back as fast as the manufacturing output, which means that the trend we saw in the past of automation replacing workers in factories and warehouses and distribution centers is accelerating. We've been saying it's going to accelerate, but we're now seeing the numbers indicate that it is accelerating even as output comes back people will not necessarily get hired. So we're going to have to find some way at the federal level to effectively tax companies that are using automation. And I mean, because right now, we tax labor very heavily at the federal level. That's the income
0: tax. Right.
1: But you don't have to pay Social Security. You don't have to pay uh, Medicare. You don't have to pay income tax. And you don't have to pay wages to a robot.
0: That's right. And I mean, the same thing was discovered in in the industrial revolution and people need a job in order to have income so that they can pay taxes. And when you look at the lower, just about 50% of, of the wage earners out there don't pay income taxes. Now that doesn't mean that they don't pay taxes. If you look at the amount of taxes that they pay, it's still pretty high, but it's going to payroll taxes and to state income taxes, not to the federal income taxes and when you talk about the top fifty percent being the only ones paying uh, is in essence the net payment if you think about credits and so on going back to to pay off what was paid in fifty percent of the people are paying all the all the sales are uh, all the uh, income taxes and uh, we're when, when you look at that it's pretty clear that that 's the group of people that 's going to continue to to pay the taxes, and we may lower that down, but One of the problems with raising taxes, it's not fair. Let me say this very clearly. No system of taxation is fair. Even the concept of the fair tax is not fair. Uh, What does fair mean? Well, we all have different opinions when it comes down to the details, but it means that when you weigh something on a scale, it's even. And uh, if If you make a million dollars and you're being taxed at 39% or 37% of that million, uh, top part of that million dollars, well, somebody else is is paying zero taxes. How is that fair? Well, it isn't. Let's just kind of knock that to the side. Every politician out there has a different definition of pay your fair share. Uh, And really, we don't have a shared definition. We don't. What I will say is that taxes are not fair, period. If you don't make much money and you have to write a big check to the IRS, that's not fair. If you make a lot of money and you have to pay a disproportionate amount of money to the IRS, that's not fair either. But it's the system that we have. And, and as much as we change it, it hasn't gotten much better or much worse since we've had it. Uh, what we can say going forward, easily is that it's likely that taxes will be higher in the future than they are today. We just had a big tax cut right before we had absolutely record-setting spending. And at some point, those two don't go together. You can't keep taxes low and, and continue to borrow at this rate. This isn't something to worry about this year or next year, but in the years to come, for sure. This is going to be a big issue, and I don't know how easy it's going to be to argue against a tax increase. It isn't us saying, woohoo, we want to pay more taxes, because we don't. We, We both benefited greatly by the tax cut. But when it really comes right back down to how do we pay for what we need to pay for, how do we pay for stimulus plans, how do we pay for small business loans, how do we pay for that stuff at the governmental level that it comes from taxes? And that means at some point, Congress is going to raise taxes. It's not rocket surgery. It doesn't
1: make any difference who gets elected president. Taxes are going to go up. I realize that the current tax law, which is the lowest in the developed countries, we pay the least percentage of federal taxes of any developed country in the, in the world right now. The, the issue is that – and it's due to expire in four years, I think it is, isn't it? 2025? 2025
0: 2025 yeah. is the, is the year when it reverts back to what it was before.
1: Right. So but that's roughly, not on the
0: corporate. That's not on the corporate level. It's only on the personal side.
1: Roughly in four and a half years it automatically reverts and the only reason that it only extended that long is the balanced budget act required them even with all their very artistic maneuvering of the of the, ta- of the numbers they couldn't make anything work beyond 2020, 2025 without basically Bankrupting the federal government on the tax cut And what we've not seen And of course we obviously have had a Coronavirus in the middle of this We have not seen the forecast By some Increase in tax revenues for cutting Taxes because right. we're on the wrong side Of the laugh for that So what we have is a, is a pretty significant Deficit going into the federal government In fact we're record deficits Other than during World War II As a percentage of GDP right now And we Ran up a trillion-dollar deficit before the coronavirus, and then we had to borrow a lot of money to recover from it, or yeah. to work recovering from it.
0: We were on set and talking about, in January and February, we were talking about being above a trillion-dollar borrowing again. And you tack mm, $3 trillion plus any other coronavirus uh, goodies on top of that and then tack something else on there that's a little harder to think about this year. Income tax revenue is based on income. And guess what? There's less income this year. People have and made less money. That means less the, tax revenue. One of the
1: things we can talk about either this hour or next hour is the impact on Social Security. I just read some interesting articles on that. And it's going to be very significant. The, not, the deferral by, that the president has directed uh, will have some effect on Social Security, particularly if somehow, I don't know how he would do that, He's reelected and he manages to forgive all the deferral on income tax on on
0: payroll taxes. Oh, that would that would take an act of Congress. It would have to. I,
1: yeah, given the makeup of Congress, I don't think that's possible. So even if you are getting a deferral right now, by the way, you don't need to spend that money because you're going to have to pay it all back in April.
0: Right. What happens in April is that the deficit. The what is the deficit? If what is payroll tax? Let's just take a step back. If you're working for a corporation, or anybody else for that matter, and you get a W-2 every year, you've filled out your W-4, you said, this is what I want withheld, Uh, you also have payroll taxes. That's for Social Security and Medicare. Um, In some places, it's Medicaid as well. And it all gets wrapped up into this chunk of money that gets paid by you. Half of it is paid by you, and half of it's paid by your employer. Now, that's to make it feel like you're not paying as much taxes. But from the employer perspective, they're paying it to you and then to the government. Um, the the president's executive order said you don't have to pay that on the employee side. Employers still had to pay their side of it. The employees don't have to pay theirs. That means that the the paycheck can go up. But starting in April of next year, that has to get paid back, which means they're pulling double the uh payroll requirement out from the employee side to make up the gap uh so you should and it's not going to be a lot of money differential you'll get a little bit more money per paycheck if your employer takes up the offer and what we're seeing is most employers are not doing it because they don't like the idea of having this deficit if you get let go this year they're still on the hook for your payroll tax that you, got, that you didn't get paid this year. Go ahead. The
1: federal government is uh, implementing it, and then it would include all the military service personnel in the Fort Hood area. It would include right. the retired people, uh, although retired people don't normally pay the payroll taxes. Uh, it would include the civilian workers in the area uh, that work for the federal government. I don't know whether the state is going to follow through on that or not.
0: Uh, I don't know either. Uh, and when it comes down to it, it's not a significant change to the paycheck. If you notice a difference, I would be surprised. It, it'll be a small bump, and that small bump will be a small depression when it's getting paid back. And if you're an, if you're a private employer, there's a lot of small business owners that listen to this program. Uh, we only have about nine minutes left in the program, but it, it, small business owners are making the decision, saying, "All right, I don't know if I'm going to make it through the year. I've got my employee." if I dock their, if I don't send in the money for their paycheck to social security and to Medicare, instead I've given it to them. I'm still sending in my side of it next year. If I have to let them go between now and April, I'm still on the hook for paying that payroll tax, even though they're no longer working for me because the, uh, person it's due from the corporation it's due from payroll taxes are paid by the employer not the employee so many of the small business owners are saying not on, only no but he double hockey stick no uh that was my uh made for radio conversion there um we're not going to be paying this massive amount uh massive amount this amount in the future a particular i mean Think about this. You, you, maybe you have a temporary project. You've got somebody in, you're you're paying them, you don't pay them the social you don't pay the social security to the government. Um, you've wrapped that up, and next year, you have a deficit as the employer on your account. And the only place you're allowed to get that from is either from the paycheck of the employee that you technically overpaid, or from your own pockets. And if the employee is no longer there, it's got to come from your pockets. So basically, the government just forced a raise from you to your employee and then didn't tell you about it. Uh, and that's, that's a tangled mess. So there's a lot of people not picking that up.
1: And there's a lot of problems with it in doing the accounting because the accounting software that people use to generate their paychecks doesn't readily allow for elimination of the uh, payroll tax.
0: Right. Uh, And unfortunately, payroll is a lot more complicated than sitting down with a a pen and marking some lines out. You've got to have the software available to say, this is how much I didn't send in and went to the employee instead. And here's the deficit level. And here's how much we got to make up by this point or penalties are due. So the complication of it, uh, small business owners right now are very, very leery of government stimulus, period. The nightmare that the Paycheck Protection Program has turned into for paperwork and for forgiveness criteria changing week to week and month to month, it's frankly disgusting. Uh, There are some CPAs that are out there saying, get the forgiveness as soon as you can so that you don't have to deal with more changes to the Paycheck Protection Program criteria for forgiveness or others are saying, wait until the very final moment to make sure that you've got all of the changes needed to, to put this in. But the reality is, we really still don't know. We've got some concepts that are being held out there. And this is a problem with government, this is, is it's, it's government. It's a bureaucracy. And they expect the world to be a bureaucracy to do as its wishes. That's a problem. Uh, stimulus to small business needs to be pain-free and uncomplicated. And I would really like to see something pass that says, Hey, you needed this money, you're forgiven. Um, and I realize that there are a lot of people that took the money that didn't need it, but they couldn't have known that they didn't need it when they took it. So it's really easy to look at hindsight and say, you shouldn't have taken this money. You were profitable for the next four months well, how do you know you're going to be profitable when a pandemic hits and everything has changed? So that, that is my look on, on the payroll um, tax.
1: From a practical point of view, I, we've had some contact with people about taking money out of their IRAs or taking money out of their Roth IRAs or their 401k if it's available. Uh, and because the waiver of the 10% penalty –
0: The CARES Act. Yeah.
1: If you can show you were affected by the uh, by the actual problem. In other words, that 10 percent. That you have to pay, that's a penalty for taking money out of your IRA. Was waived by the CARES Act to the degree that if, if you can show that you were damaged by the coronavirus. Well, at a. Person asked me a question, if I can show that there was a little damage from the coronavirus, can I take out the full hundred thousand dollars without the penalty? Well, there's a couple of problems with that. Number one, 100000 dollars added income to his added to his income this year would kick him up more than 10% in tax brackets. Yeah. The other thing is the IRS, the vagueness of the of the of the wording in the CARES Act means the IRS can come back and say, if you can show that you lost a thousand dollars, you can take out a thousand dollars, not a hundred thousand dollars. They could easily hit him with the penalty for the extra ninety nine thousand dollars.
0: Yuck, that's that's kind of gross. Uh, and and that's one of those things that uh, basically a lot of things were offered in the CARES Act. And if you need it because your business is failing or you lost a job, uh, there's a lot of reasons to take it, but you need to take your time in making the decision. If you're just trying to get money from the government and you don't really need it and you're saying, hey, the government's just giving it away, know for sure, and and I realize that the Paycheck Protection Program closed up on August 8th, but there may be other stuff coming out and certainly this thing about taking money out of your IRAs. Just know that if you are only doing it maybe to speed up some financial goals that you had or uh, increase the, uh, or decrease the amount of time to pay off your mortgage or something like that, just know that you may have some extreme hoops to jump through in your taxes to make sure you don't pay a penalty on that. And the hoops may or may not be on fire. Um, just just to complete the picture in your head, thinking of hula hoops.
1: It is isn't
0: no not not fun um certainly not fun and we only have about uh two and a half minutes left this hour uh just uh do you have something you want to use to wrap up it doesn't
1: count commercials
0: uh commercials are not happening because we don't need to not for our recording
1: well basically the recovery is poking along and it is leveling off And very frankly, a lot of people believe that if we don't get a stimulus bill out of Congress and signed by the president, um, it may sag back into an actual declining economic situation again uh, in this month, and maybe in in, and maybe even September. We're seeing some numbers in August that indicates it's leveled off. uh, So, kind of buckle your seatbelts. The other thing is, of course, that the we're making this recording on Thursday, and the market is headed south right now. This could be the beginning of the correction that we've been anticipating. As a matter of fact, it won't take a lot more uh, down market today to get us officially into a correction. Yeah. But just buckle your seatbelts and know that on the other side of this, things probably will look much better. Right.
0: So we're about out of time this hour. If you would like to talk to us in person, we actually do give fiduciary in the best interest of the client investment advice from our business though we give education on the air uh you can reach us and set up an appointment there's voicemail waiting on the weekend real live people during the week at locally 254-947-1111 you can reach that same line toll free for those of you that still have landlines and we're hanging on to this toll free number as long as we can one uh, 800 That's eight hundred nine fourteen 914 plan You can also go to our webpage, thepersonalwealthcoach.com or tpwc.com. Uh, we've got newsletters and podcasts, uh, and the podcasts are from the radio program going back lots of years. The newsletters go back lots of years. See what we were saying before. Uh, you can sign up for our newsletter there there's a contact form contact us form there uh, you can also email us directly at Jeff at tpwc.com or Jake at tpwc.com and we actually read those things we use them as fodder for the next episode if you have some ideas on what we should talk about next week please email it in until next hour this has been the personal wealth coach